Good morning, everybody. Would you rise with me for the call to worship? May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we gather in your name this morning to worship you. Thank you for being present with us. May our praise and fellowship bring you joy and be to your glory. Amen.
great to see you as we gather for worship today. I especially want to welcome uh, Houghton Academy and Houghton College students who are back or here for the first time. Uh, take a moment and introduce yourself to some people around you. Greet one another in the name of Christ. There are a number of uh, things in the life of the church that I want to make you aware of. Uh, tonight at 7 o'clock uh, begins Koinonia, a student-led worship ministry in Wesley Chapel. And this will be happening every weekend that the college is in session. So we invite the, not just students, but uh, everyone is invited to be a part of this group. Uh, next Sunday, uh, well I shouldn't say that, this week, choir rehearsals start. And uh, we'd love to have you be a part of the choir uh, to uh, sing together. And uh, the rehearsal starts Tuesday evening. You can contact uh, Amanda Cox if you have questions or more information about that. Next week also is the time we're collecting our uh, Matthew 820 initiative jars for refugees. And I actually brought one here with me. And what we're going to do next week is uh, we want to bring your jars. Someone asked me, Should we, can we write a check and just... Do that. No, we want you to bring your jars, and we're going to do something uh, ceremoniously about dumping the jars and uh, emptying the jars into containers, and then take your jar back home with you. We'll have a new booklet. We'll have we'll have extra jars for those who don't have one. Uh, as we've been doing this project over the last few months, uh, collecting money, thinking about refugees, praying for refugees, and we want to continue that not, as opposed to just something we do for a few months. So, uh, if you are, make sure that if you've been collecting this, to bring your jar with you. Next week, we're also getting ready and starting Sunday school next Sunday, and uh, you see an insert with different adult classes. There's classes for all ages of children. We do have a couple of requests. We need some assistance, some helpers uh, in the kindergarten class and fourth grade. The kindergarten class has at this point 17 students, so we need a little help in that class. Uh, a presence, some presence there. So, uh, so we'd love to have you uh, help out with either of those classes. That would be great. Um, And uh, you see the other uh, Sunday school options on the insert. Uh, There are also uh, a number of other inserts in your bulletin. This is kind of insert day as we get things started here. Ways you get connected with working with various age groups and different times of the week. There's uh, getting involved with music. Uh, Wednesday nights, we'll be restarting our our Wednesday night uh, kids clubs. Love to have you be a part of that. Uh, Invest yourself in the children of our church and in the nurturing of their faith. Uh, there are also small groups that will begin in a couple of weeks. Uh, take a look at those inserts. One of them is about Christian Life Emphasis Week, and we'll hear more about that in just a moment. As I've, I've asked Mike Jordan, the dean of the chapel at the college, to come and share just a, a few words about uh, invitations to us as a church to get involved in some of the spiritual life activities on campus. Let me first buttress the idea that they do need help with the kindergarten class. My daughter, Lucy, was part of the baby boom of 2011, which led to the huge kindergarten class we have now. And uh, 
Yeah, Lucy is by far the best, of course. She won't cause you any problem, but... <laughs> um, thanks to Wes and to all of you just for a couple minutes this morning. Um, I've been reflecting for the last couple of years in a, on a, a small group meeting we had a couple years ago where those of us in the small group were talking about the ways that in Houghton sometimes the connection between the town and the college is different than it used to be. It's different than it was uh, when more students would live in people's homes. Uh, there's just kind of less informal connection, and so uh, that's a burden for me. I hope that uh, a part of the one of the things I, I think Houghton can do very well is to build those kind of connections and surround students uh, with love from the community. And so I hope that my office is a way for that to happen. I want to talk about just a few ways that you can be involved with what's going on at the college if you're interested. Um, the first and most obvious, I suppose, in the way that I still see most community members involved is through chapel. So if you're in town and don't have a job which takes you away from town at 11.05 on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you're more than welcome to join us for chapel. Uh, not just for the students' sake, although it does help them to see people surrounding them, but also for your own sake as a chance to pause in the middle of the week and to acknowledge God. Um, we also, each day, uh, and, and if you're an early riser, this may be better for you, each day that classes are in session, at 7.30 in the morning, we have a morning prayer time. And that's just in the basement of Wesley Chapel. There's a little prayer chapel down there. And uh, I drop my kids off on the school bus at 7.25 and then walk over and lead a service of prayer. Uh, it's, very much, it's based on the Book of Common Prayer, so it's short, it's uh, liturgical, it's a chance to, we read uh, scripture for each other each day. We sing a hymn. Um, this functions as a way for some of our students who never learn hymns to learn to sing hymns, and some of our students who do like them and don't get to sing them enough also get a chance to sing them there. Um, so if you're interested in joining us for those, if you're up in, at 7.30 and want to be there, I've heard some people say, oh, that's for the students, I don't want to go. We want you there. It's wonderful to have, uh, it's wonderful to have the community folks surrounding our students. Likewise, in the afternoon, each day at 3.45, we have a, a similar service of daily communion. And that's also about a 20-minute service where we sing, we confess our sin to God and each other, we hear his word proclaimed, we ask for forgiveness, and then we go to the table and experience God's presence there. Uh, it's a wonderful time each day, and so you're welcome to join us for that. I also have deep in my heart uh, maybe a vision for you as a baker. Um, I always buy bread for this, and I'm happy to do it, but I think to myself, how wonderful would it be if this community nourished our, our students through communion. And so if you're a baker and you can throw an extra loaf of bread in every week, uh, let me know. I would be glad to have uh, bread that's provided by our church uh, to serve for our students there. Last, I will just buttress Wes's point about Clue. Dr. A.J. Swoboda is the speaker this year. He came to Houghton a couple years ago. He's a wonderful speaker. I tell the students he's like me except cooler. It's true. He's much more comfortable in skinny jeans than I am. And that's how you can tell cool people these days. Um, so anyway, but he's a wonderful speaker. I know that he'll be here next Sunday morning. You'll get to hear him, here, hear him there. But also would encourage you to just come out and uh, worship with us in the evenings and uh, in the morning services up on campus. So if you have any questions, just shoot me an email. Give me a call. Paul West can get you in touch with me. Thanks so much for your time. Our Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 72. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. The mountains will bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. 
He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. He will endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. He will be like rain falling on the mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days the righteous will flourish. Prosperity will abound till the moon is no more. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him, and all nations will serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy, and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from the oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. Let grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. Let its fruit flourish like Lebanon. Let it thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. This is the word of the Lord. If you're able, please stand for the doxology. Father, thank you for the many ways by which you sustain and bless us. Please accept these tithes and offerings as a sign of our trust in your continued provision and as a token of our gratitude. Amen.
great uh, prayer for us. Make me your servant. I think servanthood starts with a recognition of our need for God. And so it is appropriate that we spend a few moments in confession before God. So join with me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin as we pray together. God of glory, You sent Jesus among us as the light of the world to reveal your love for all people. We confess that our sin and pride hide the brightness of your light. We turn away from the poor. We ignore cries for justice. We do not strive for peace. In your mercy, cleanse us of our sin and baptize us once again with your spirit that forgiven and renewed, we may show forth your glory, shining in the face of Jesus Christ, as we hear the words of Jesus. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins. Amen. As we pray together, if you would like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that is ours in Christ, for the joy of being your children, of knowing your love in the very depths of our being. We thank you that when we pray, you have promised that you hear us and that you do more than we could dream or imagine. And so today we come and offer our prayers. We pray, Father, for all who are grieving today. We think especially of family and friends of Bruce Brenneman. We pray your comforting presence in each of our lives. And for all who are grieving, in whatever form the grief may come, minister your peace to us. We pray for all who are struggling with illness and pain. We pray for Doris Asepian, for Jill Tyson. For Blanche Weaver and Tammy Dunmire, 
for Luke Heisinger, Wade Marsh, and Sheldon Emerson, for Doug Bogdan and Barb Rangel, for Bob Jobert and Laurel Bucher, for Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey, for Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, for Bevrett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth, and Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our minds today. Bring healing grace to each of them. Awareness of your presence in their situations. We pray, Father, for the ministries of our church. And this morning we've talked about a variety of ministries that uh, many which begin next week and in the coming weeks. And we pray that these will be more than just things we do, but that they will be avenues for a deeper journey with you. Give us grace to, to be involved as you lead us, to be willing to, uh, to be stretched by you as we involve ourselves in the ministry of your kingdom. We pray, Father, for not only our church, but churches around us. And we think especially today of the Rawson Baptist Church in Cuba, Pastor Holmes. Pour out your blessing on this congregation of believers. Bind them together in your love. And may they be a clear witness of your truth and grace to their community and beyond. We think of the world We pray for John and Sylvia Christensen, their ministry among the Kisar people. As they are are there in ministry and are preparing to come home, fill them with your grace and safety. And may the fruit of their labors be deeper and wider and longer than they could have ever imagined. We pray for our brothers and sisters who find it very difficult to get access to the scriptures. We pray that you will help those who are committed to great risk to supply scriptures where they are needed. We pray for protection, and we pray for the ability for these scriptures to get through whatever borders and difficulties that are not too much for you, and that you will work miraculously, that your children might be able to know who you are through your word. We pray, Father, for the larger needs of our world, and we think of Refugees who are fleeing many places of the world, living in in camps. We pray, Father, for your grace upon them, that you would provide home and shelter and safety. You would bring an end to the situations in countries that create the need to be refugees. We pray for those who are are dealing with recent disasters and terrorist attacks, and we think especially the people in Italy with this recent earthquake. Minister your grace to them. Let your church be a presence to them. May they sense your grace upon them. We pray for places of conflict that you would bring peace. We pray for uh, Houghton College and Houghton Academy as they are on the brink of a new year. Some returning students, some new students, returning faculty and staff, new students, faculty and staff, and we pray, Father, that you will work miraculously in both of these institutions, that this will be a year of growing academically, and relationally, and spiritually through your grace. We pray that as a church, we will be a place of, of welcome and acceptance and love and a catalyst to, to this growth that we know you desire in all of us. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. 
And this time, at all times, we want to declare that we trust you. Help us to know your grace, that we might live in your peace and walk in your ways every day. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who teaches us the model for prayer that we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading comes from Luke 4, 
If you're able, would you join me by rising for the reading of the gospel? Following the reading, uh, if you'd remain standing for the hymn that follows, that'd be great. And at that time, children's ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for children's church. Luke 4, 14 to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. The world we live in is a mess. I don't think any of us would argue about that for a moment. We may have differences of opinion about what the mess exactly is, but I think pretty much consensus as I see it, that the world's a mess. And the thing about that is that every one of us, I suspect, has something in our minds about how we could make it better. We all have ideas of of how we might make the world a better place. Ideas that would make the world a better place. In many ways, this is really the underlying idea of every political platform. Every candidate in every election, wherever it is and whatever it is, every candidate is saying, if you vote for me, I will make the world a better place. I have a program, I have an idea, I have a strategy to, to help you, to help others, depending on the context of the election, to help the people who are involved in whatever form of life that my campaign might touch. I can make the world a better place. And we are attracted to that because we all want the world to be a better place. And so does God. God didn't create the world to be the mess that it's in. God didn't create the world to be a place of suffering and abuse and greed and people grasping for power and trampling over others and manipulating them and using them and corruption and all the things about our world, sinfulness and and all the things that come to our mind when we think of the mess that the world is in. God did not create the world that way. And God's desire is because of, even though it was our sin that got the world into this mess, God's desire is to see it different. And Psalm 72 is one of the places in Scripture where we get a glimpse of what God wants the world to be. This is a Psalm of Solomon. It doesn't give us any context, but I suspect... It is a psalm that Solomon writes as he is ascending the throne of Israel. It, it just has the feel to me of something you would write as you're getting ready to start. It reminds me a lot of Solomon's prayer in Second Chronicles 7, where that famous line, If my people will humble themselves and pray, God will hear and heal their land. This is a prayer for, for the king as the king ascends the throne. And it makes sense that you would pray that prayer at the very beginning. And it really is a prayer. Now, we may look at this and think it's a prayer of the king. It's about the king. The whole thing is related to the king. It doesn't really have anything to do with us. Except that in Israel, the king was really representative of God to the people. And and God's design for the king was to live in such a way and to act such a way that the people would follow suit. And that the king would be so connected to God and such a godly king that the people would want to be like the king. And so every time that there is a prayer or a word from the king about how to live, the people tend to follow suit. And that's in the good times and that's in the bad times. 
And it means that this is not just a word for the king. It is a word that the king is modeling so that the people will live this way also, which means it's a word for you and me as much as anybody else. And the king's prayer starts with this word. May God give the king a love for God's righteousness and justice. The king says, give me and give my people a love for God's justice and righteousness. Now, I don't think any of us would say we vote for injustice. But the question is, do we love God's justice? Do we love God's righteousness? Is it the desire of our hearts that we would see God's justice and righteousness come to this world? Now, we may have different opinions of what justice and righteousness is, and Solomon gives us a definition of what he's talking about. And he's really talking about how we treat the people who are most vulnerable in our society. How do we treat the people who society pushes to the fringes? How do we treat the people that that society calls insignificant, unimportant, meaningless, worthless? How do we treat those people? What do we think about them? Do we care about them? Do we want God's justice for them? Do we want to see God's righteousness poured out in their lives as much as in our own? Do you have a passion for them? Verse 14, Solomon says that the reason we feel this way about the people who are poor and needy and powerless and and on the fringes and vulnerable is because their lives are precious to God. God looks at them and while we may say they're insignificant and they're unimportant and worthless, God says, those people are precious to me. And the calling for God's people is that they become precious to us. If something is precious to us, we protect it, we care for it, for it. We treat it in a way that we don't treat things that are not important to us. And so we lock our homes. Well, some people do in Houghton. Not everyone does, but we lock our homes to protect our precious things. It would break our hearts if someone took them or if we lost them. They're important to us. They're precious to us. And we will do a lot to protect things that are precious to us. Our children are precious to us. It's one of the reasons why we do all of these ministries for children and youth is because they are precious to us and they are so important to us that we will do everything we can to nurture them in the faith. And we will sacrifice for them and we will give ourselves for them because they're precious to us. And so when we talk about getting involved in these ministries, we're simply saying, do what God has laid on your heart to do about people who are precious. They're important to us. And we don't do it begrudgingly. We don't think about these people who are precious to God and who are needy. Begrudgingly, we do it with hearts open like God does. What I find interesting is that you go through this passage, you find that when the king has this perspective, when the king loves God's justice and righteousness, when he has the heart of God toward the neediest people, everybody flourishes. Everything flourishes. 
I mean, the reason there is so much uh, pain and anguish and, and famine and drought and difficulty in this world, the primary reason is because we have created a- an atmosphere of greed. We've created an atmosphere of selfishness. And uh, we have corrupted what God has made. But when your mind changes, when you take on God's perspective about justice and righteousness, things have a tendency to flourish. In verses 6 and 7, Solomon talks about this, may the king's rule be refreshing like spring rain on freshly cut grass. Like the showers that water the earth. There is something about that image that I, that's just spoken to me as I've been pondering this. About the presence of God's people in the midst of all the chaos and mess and, and, and trouble of our world. When we, when we interject ourselves into this world, does our presence bring refreshing to those situations? Do people walk away from us feeling more refreshed rather than less? After an encounter and a conversation with us, do, do people walk away feeling more loved or less loved? More hopeful or less hopeful? What kind of presence are we bringing to the burdens and the concerns and the needs of our world? How do people, do people see us as agents of refreshing or agents that deplete them and circumstances. Now, I know often we will say, well, you know, when you speak the truth, which we're called to do, when we talk about righteousness, which we're called to do, people are not going to like that. They're not, they don't like the ways of God, and so they're going to be angry, and they're going to be upset, and, and, they're, and they're not, we're not going to bring them a positive experience. And, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. That is sometimes and maybe often the case. But I think sometimes we have to take a step back and ask ourselves, is it the truth that's doing that, or is it our is it us? Are are we more interested in our agenda than we are the truth? And we all get wrapped up in that. Are we more interested in convincing people to think like we think or or to lead people to Jesus? To help them see Jesus. What's our motivation behind it? Is our motivation compassion or is it vengeance? At the end of, of this psalm, uh, he talks in verse 17 about, about how the, when all this happens with the king, not only is everything flourishing, but all the people are, are, are bl- brought into the blessing of God. In the message, it says that people are brought into the circle of God's blessing. What a beautiful picture. And I think one of the ways we... We judge, we test our hearts about the difficult issues we may have to address, address in culture. Is do people, do, do we have a spirit of our goal is that people would be embraced in the circle of God's blessing. That our goal is not to win, our goal is to love. Our goal is not our agenda, our goal is to see people's lives transformed by the grace of God in Christ. We may say the same words But it's the spirit in which we say them. It's the motivation of them. I I keep coming back to the image of Jesus in the Gospels. And no one speaks the truth with more clarity than Jesus does. Jesus is all about the truth. And yet you see people flocking to him 
And usually it's the people who are on the edges of society. It's the people who commit some of the, uh, the, the social sins of that culture. There is something about the way Jesus speaks the truth that doesn't repel them. It attracts them and leads them to the refreshness of his spirit, if I can use that word. I was reading recently about how the government in Russia over the last few years has been concerned about the growing number of non-government organizations present in their nation and wanting to, to bring those more into, into, their, into their own work. And so they've been creating scenarios that make it difficult for NGOs to stay there, and two-thirds of them have left. And some of the other Soviet states have followed suit, but the Ukraine has not. In fact, just recently, the president of Ukraine uh, signed a bill, not just making it possible, but, but asking, begging the, uh, the, the people, the Christians there, to cre- start Christian schools. And someone in the know said, the reason why this is happening is because the most respected institution in the Ukraine is the church. Wow. That says something about their presence in that place. But let's bring that closer to home as you think about how we do or don't bring refreshing to circumstances of life. Last week, Cindy and I were up in Buffalo and we were shopping at tops, I think, and, and uh, we were, had gotten our stuff and we were in li- getting in line. And, of course, choosing a line is always a thing for us because whatever line we choose, you know that's the one that they're going to need a price check. The tape's going to run out of the machine. They, need, they forgot something, going to run and get it. In fact, we've come to the conclusion that it's because we got into that line that all those things happen. I don't know if you have that experience, but when I want to turn to people behind us sometimes and say, you know, you really don't really know what you've gotten yourself into here. You should probably go find another line because we're more than likely going to be here a while. But this day, it wasn't like that. We were in line and things were moving along. And all of a sudden, I heard a little bit of a commotion behind me at the aisle next to us. And I sort of turned to look to see what was happening. And something had gone wrong with the computer and the cash register. And uh, the person running the register could not figure out what was going on. And they were calling, you know customer service people and assistant managers and the manager and maintenance people and nobody could figure out. They're all huddled around this computer trying to figure out how to make it work and all the while the woman who's shopping is standing there like, "Uh, I don't know what to do, I'm embarrassed. But she didn't do anything. And then I heard the voice of a gentleman who was behind her in line and you could sense him getting more and more irritated. And he was talking to his wife, but he was really talking to everyone around us, particularly the top store people, saying, this is ridiculous. I can't believe they're not opening another line. This is crazy. I can't believe this. And on and on, whining and complaining and getting more intense and louder as it went along. And I'm thinking, man, what is wrong with that guy? And I'm thinking to myself, two thoughts came to my mind as I'm listening to this take place. One thought was, I feel sorry for the woman who's been stuck in line and can't do anything about it with her order. And I feel sorry for the tops people who are doing everything in their power to try to get this thing to work. But I don't feel a bit sorry for the guy waiting in line behind her. And then the second thought that hit me was this. How many times I've been that guy? Impatient, Frustrated, irritated. There's absolutely nothing anyone can do. It's just something that happened. 
But I have been that guy in line who has been upset and vocal and and all of those things. And instead of creating an atmosphere of calm and peace, I've upped the ante of the anxiety. And in that moment, I, I prayed, Lord, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be the person in these situations who can laugh about it, who can bring a sense of peace and calm and and joy in the midst of something that is just happening. I want to be the person that goes to a store where people know me and when they see me coming to check out, they're happy for me to come to their line as opposed to trying to figure out how they can go on a break right then. But it's not just about bringing it closer to home. It's really bringing it home. Because the one place where we are called, we know, to be a presence, to create and to nourish an atmosphere of, of refreshing and nourishing is in our homes. In our dorm rooms. With our colleagues. With our neighbors. With those people who see us maybe outside of the facade and the persona that we often live with in our lives. And when we, when we are a part of a gathering, whether it's in our homes or in a dorm room or in an apartment or in our neighborhood, when we enter, there is like spring rain on mown grass. It's refreshing. I think there are a couple of things that always have to happen For us to create this kind of atmosphere. That we love God's justice and righteousness so much. We have the heart of God so clearly. That we bring this kind of flourishing and refreshing atmosphere. And I think one of the things is patience. We live our lives between the now and the not yet. And that's a hard place to be. It's hard to be patient between the now and the not yet. We read a psalm like this and it's really talking about ultimately the not yet. And we want it to be now. We want things to happen immediately. We know The 19th century revivalist movement did a lot of good things for us about the, the power of God to change lives and to do things in, in the world. But one of the drawbacks is that it created this mindset that everything God does should be instantaneous and in the moment. And we become impatient when it doesn't happen. Something is wrong. But when I read the scriptures, I find God being far more patient than I am. Far more patient than I kind of would like for him to be. When you read the scriptures, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything. It's awesome. And then Genesis 3, sin enters the picture and messes it all up. And if it were up to me, Jesus would come in Genesis 4. Why wait till Matthew 1? I don't really know, except God is patient. And that ultimately, when you get to the book of Galatians, Paul says, at just the right time, Jesus came. And you have hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years of God working with people, investing in people, being patient with people. It's what it looks like to be connected to God. That patience. And being patience creates trust. 
And trust creates relationship with God. And it's in relationship with God that we begin to experience what God created us to experience. And the second thing is humility. I think patience and humility are two sides of the same coin. You really can't be patient without being humble. And you really can't be humble without being patient. And humility that we see in Christ as he goes to the cross, as he, as he reveals to us, this is how you change the world. A sacrifice. My humility. Costly humility. But I, as I think about it, humility it didn't start when Jesus came. God's always been humble. It's a part of his nature. It took humility on God's part to create human beings. And even more humility on God's part after human beings sinned to still connect himself with them. To humble himself to choose someone like Moses who was a murderer to lead his people out of Egypt. And to connect himself with the Israelites and this ragtag group of of sinners who keep rejecting him, rebelling against him. And he keeps coming back to them and loving them. And now it's the church that God would humble himself in such a way that he would say, those are my people. Really? Us? Are you kidding me? That, that's the spirit of God. And that's how the world gets changed. The kind of humility that is willing to risk and pay the price and love through the grace of Jesus. Ultimately, this is really about bearing the image of Jesus. We can't change the world on our own. There's not a person that exists that's that good. It's about praying for God to give us the heart of Christ. The eyes, the ears, the, the, the persona, the attitude of Christ in us. One of his books, Andy Crouch, makes this provocative statement. God's intent from the very beginning was to fill the world with idols. God's intent from the very beginning was to fill the world with idols. Images. Not of wood and stone, not of gold and silver, but of flesh and blood. Hands and feet. Eyes, lips. Genesis tells us God created us in his image. And one of the reasons God does not want Israel to make images of him is because he already made an image of him. It's all of us. And people who and the people of God bear the image of God. Followers of Christ are followers of Christ because we bear the image of God, Christ in us. And that image leads us to actually be people who live for the glory of God. As he works his work in transforming this world. We come to the end of this psalm and there are two words that the congregation says in response to what Solomon has written, Amen and Amen. So be it. Let it be. Everything you've prayed, Solomon, that's what we want too. That's our declaration. Let it be so. 
But to pray, let it be so, is to say, God, make me that kind of person. Do in me what you want to do. As we come to this table, we come to this table celebrating who God is and what he's done for us. And we come celebrating the privilege that is ours in Christ. To actually be agents of flourishing and restoration and reconciliation and refreshing to this needy, broken, messed up world. What would the world look like if all of God's people prayed that prayer? If all of God's people every day said, Lord, this is who I want you to make me. Shape me in your image. Fill me with your spirit that I might reflect who you are in this world. I think that's our calling. That's our hope. That's our great privilege. Let's claim what God wants for us. Holy Father, we thank you for this privilege you've given us in actually bearing your image through Christ. Make us people who love your justice and your righteousness. Make us people who who want to reflect Christ in us more than anything else. And to be agents of what you want to do in this world. We pray, Father, that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, it will be food for our souls and celebration of who you are and of all that you've called us and equipped us to be. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. simply means to dip in. And as you're released by rows, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. And if you need those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you have ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with the desire for Christ to fill you and to transform you into the person that he created you to be, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, heavenly Father.
Christ given for you.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.